It's movie time, and once again, we are back again with movie time, and hopefully you all had a wonderful, wonderful holiday. And today, we have an amazing guest, Michael Gianfrido. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well on this gorgeous uh, Saturday afternoon in Toronto, Ontario. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, quite an awesome weekend also here. It's like we're starting out a really good weekend. That's who we are, absolutely. And Michael, so can you tell us a little bit more about you, your company, your background? Yeah, no, absolutely. Grew up in Toronto, specifically Scarborough. Grew up as a very ambitious, very competitive person. <laughs> And which was always the case kind of growing up, but and kind of like a few, you know, it started to be different, but very hard because no matter how hard you try, um, you know, sometimes you just couldn't, you know, can't conform. So, but today I'm glad that fate was so stubborn enough not to let me. So, <laughs> in terms of the entertainment, in terms of the film vibe, I don't think my father ever imagined that in my adult life that exposure would uh, would be a driving force for me to venture into filmmaking, but it did. And my thanks to him. So from 2013 to 2015, I had a short tenure when I was asked to act as a uh, director of finance at a multi-strategy uh, business and financial services firm, assist assisting its uh, market relationships with securing capital through private equity and, and its family desk platform. And then in terms of the company itself, Dominant Entertainment, uh, my company, in 2008 I met Diana Kemp, who's a uh, multiple award-winning writer and who obviously you know, you've, yes. you've met her, and we spent a great deal of time together. Uh, realized we had very similar outlooks on films, and that same year I launched DE, Dominant Entertainment, and I hired Diana as my head of development, and since then we've acquired and developed original intellectual properties that we've, uh, we've pushed to, to where they are currently today. And we're in the process of packaging them for production, specifically three right now that are on the shortlist, two feature and one television series. All three of them, of course, DE has, uh, has fully developed on its own. And then from 2009 to 2011, Dominant Entertainment was involved with key investment partners and we structured the acquisition and restructuring and recapitalization and competed as prospective buyers for, for several um, mm -hmm. assets and undervalued companies, uh, specifically all exclusive rights to a billion dollar film library. And then I saw an opportunity that, and, and a need in the, in the marketplace for an approach to finance different and original commercial content, uh, which really wasn't and to a degree still isn't being produced today. Specifically genres like science fiction, good quality you know, dramas, and Dominant has a very specific focus on, on the sci-fi genre just because you know, there, there is a gap in the marketplace for, you know, I'm not talking 10 pole type pictures, you know, 102 million dollars, but good quality, you know, 20, 30 million dollars, maybe even lower budget than that, on good, you know, commercial appealing content such as, such as sci-fi. Very cool. So you have preferences of working with also the sci-fi genre, but is there other genres that you like? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, action, action thriller, mystery, you know, I think everybody likes a good mystery from, you know, from time to time. I'm, I'm certainly a big thriller and mystery fan, so yeah, those type of genres, absolutely. And we also have a very keen focus on true stories as well, you know, any any sort of, you know, true life stories that we can kind of bring to the screen. We're very, we're very specific in terms of the type of, uh, the, the type of content that we associate with. So it's definitely, it definitely has to have a heart, you know, we're very big in terms of the quality of the writing, the quality of the characters. Uh, anything we touch really has to be story rich and very character rich, specifically character rich as well. Because like TV, I mean, you know, audiences will will gravitate towards a good story, but they'll gravitate even more towards strong characters that they can sympathize for. 
Absolutely, and uh, also it's dealing as well on a lot of relevant topics of today as well. Yeah. Did you also look at? Yeah, no, absolutely. In terms of, it always makes for good entertainment, but you know, unfortunate scandals and corruption, various cases and whatnot that you know people were not aware of, and taking that material and putting it on the screen, and and even you know true stories in terms of war stories that you know that unfortunately have happened you know several years ago and. You know, we've also met people that have been survivors of some of those stories and they want to kind of, you know, obviously tell a different story based on certain facts and bring that to the screen. So, you know, completely open to factual events, but factual events with, you know, within, within the realm of reason in terms of um, something that people still want to, want to see. Are there also budget ranges that you like in regards to? Absolutely. Right now, five to forty million dollars. I like working with professionals that definitely think outside the box. So that's because I, I think outside the box. So I like to gravitate towards people that are a bit quirky and think very differently. So absolutely, that's that's a major selling point. And then people that are um, aggressive go-getters. You know, people that are not afraid to you know knock on doors, not afraid to pick up the phone and. You know, step up to the plate and and um, and negotiate and, and speak their mind. People that can take charge. I mean, a lot of people rely on me, but I also you know give people the opportunity to not rely on me and rely on themselves and you know give them an opportunity to take charge. And then also people who maintain specific skill sets that uh, that others don't have and who complement the capabilities of their peers. So you know, if one person's strength is in financing and one person's strength is in production or in distribution. For me, that's a perfect marriage because all three can, can complement each other very nicely. So, um, oh, most definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So. And it's, yeah, do you think of like projects as that you would want to see them as more fully fame-driven? Like, are you open to new filmmakers? How, uh, do you want more established talents? Like, how do you feel that it is bankable? for investment? Like, what do you consider bankable? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, star, story, and character-driven is always my approach. Uh, so those are, those are the three fundamentals, star, story, and characters. It's tough to really define up-and-coming talents as bankable for investment because you can't, in my opinion, and based on my experience, you can't nor should you entirely rely on talent when measuring investment risk. There are other factors, of course, associated with that, so you shouldn't entirely rely on the bankability of somebody's name, um, mm -hmm. even though that's a major factor, but it should be the it should not be the only factor. And then for me, bankability is a hybrid of strength and risk mitigation, content, soft money, uh, sweat equity. Sweat equity being um, you know from post production vendors or visual effects vendors, you know that will take a take a stake in the film in terms of the labor obviously that they're putting into it. So you know sweat equity, traditional hard equity. Uh, sales and distribution are all components of a pretty much a hybridized uh, capital stack of, of strength and, and risk mitigation for film financing, pretty much. So it's like, what challenges do you also encounter when taking on projects? Well, <laughs> unnecessary politics mm -hmm. and naivete really bother me. Uh, it's just, for me, if something doesn't need to be complicated, don't make it complicated. But unnecessary politics, naivete, uh, especially when people don't respect and, and genuinely understand financial risk. Uh, that, that, that really gets underneath my skin. Um, Definitely. I mean, uh, to simplify it, I mean, just, just consider, you know, just consider this, you know, when you're, when, when you're looking at a finance plan, when anybody's looking at a finance plan, you know, would you write the check, you know, based on the security supporting uh, your investment and, and be able to sleep at night, you know, with your money at risk? I mean, if the answer is yes, then okay. You know, if the answer is no, then 
You know, you should. But the, the lack of directness and honesty wastes time. And, fr and frankly, it's, it's time that people are most precious about. So that, that's definitely a, uh, um, a, a core component of, of um, the advice that I would give to a lot of people. Is just, you know, be very direct and very frank. Just don't waste time. And for me, financing is straightforward. It's always been straightforward. I know people like to complicate it or, or mm -hmm. you know, can't, can't restrain themselves from complicating it. But uh, financing to me is straightforward, especially in today's market, because there's so much competitive capital out there that that is available for, for uh, a variety of different motion pictures. But producers either don't know how to access it or they don't want to pay for it. So. And, and that's just me, you know, speaking from from experience. So either you know they, they they need to surround themselves with people that know how to know know how to tap that that type of capital, or you know it could just be capital that you know they may not want to pay for because of you know the fact that they have um, uh, different core objectives that are very different from you know the financiers, and that's you know that's okay. But it takes money to make money, so that's <laughs> true. And also, it's like a, the fear of being burned in the past, as exactly. you mentioned. But also, it's like it, it is knowing as well that you know how to access it, when to access it, that's right. at what point in that's the right. project do you access that's it? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, is there like a particular project that you might have found like more difficult than others? Um, too many to name. <laughs> Too many to name. Um, but uh, it's the uh, it's the same process for me when when putting when putting any film together. But but again, it's the it's the unnecessary politics that make the process unnecessarily complicated. It, going out, you know, if you, if you have a good film, if you have a good story, if you have the right team, you know, also having the right team and. And you know synergy is obviously extremely important. Important, but having the right team, it's 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 a matter of just getting having a clear focus in terms of what what is the what is the end result for this film? You know, what is the objective that you want to do? You know, who's your market? You know, are you targeting you know worldwide? Are you targeting specifically Canadians, Americans, both? You know, Europeans. I mean, you know, what what's the market that you want to target? And then essentially build a model uh, around that market that you're targeting, around that target market, and. Um, you know, if it's if it's if it's a film that you're shooting in Canada, you know, there's a tremendous amount of soft money available that you know we'll get into shortly in in, uh, in a lot more in depth and you know various offsets in terms of you know tax credits, um, a lot of great companies that that do want to get involved more heavily into in terms of motion pictures and then essentially the Canadian government, you know, really standing behind you know bringing more 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 projects. Um, both studio level and independent into uh, into Canada, and obviously you've seen that, you know, yes. with a huge influx of production, specifically in uh, in Vancouver and Toronto, and then also Quebec as well, but uh, specifically in Vancouver and Toronto. Yeah, Quebec has it's also its own little that's right. equity with Sodec and all. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's, that's right. Yeah, they're, they're the little hidden people. Well, so it's always kind of nice to partner. The X Men movies love it in in Quebec, so you know, considering that they're all made there, but. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And also partnered with big companies like Trimax, GLG. So you've partnered with like some really cool people no, in there, and bringing also Diana on board. It's like I know that Diana has got years of experience. Oh, she does. It's awesome. And so it's like, what criteria and stuff do you feel that you want to be in place when taking on like those kinds of partners? Well, and, and co-producers. And that's an excellent question. Uh, very good question. For me, again speaking directly from my experience, all everybody that's listening, that's that's all you're going to hear from me is you're not going to hear me sugarcoat anything. So it's it's directly experience. For me, it's natural chemistry. I believe 
the key word being natural, I believe is, is key in any partnership. You either click or you don't, and you have the, and you have the, you, you either click or you don't, and the synergy is either there or, or, or it isn't. I mean, it's just, you know, to simplify it. And then my partnerships have been and, and are all based on being direct and honest. Again, people's time is precious. Uh, the foundation of a strong partnership for me or co-production is honesty, and both sides uh, contribute completely, uh, completely different talents that, when combined, produce substantial strength and success. Communication and respect are, uh, work hand in hand. I can't emphasize that enough. Communication and respect work hand in hand. I find it troublesome when people don't take communication seriously and still believe that they can, um, they can be respectful because, um, because you can't. My opinion, based on my experience, you can't. Communication, but especially listening, is extremely important. If you're not a genuine listener, then you can't communicate effectively. And you know, if you can't properly communicate, you're not respecting your partners. I believe the best working relationship uh, and partnership is the best friendship. That's my, my direct experience. Uh, if you don't trust each other as friends, then how do you expect to trust each other as, as, as partners, as business partners? Very true. You have to set that, that foundation of, of trust um, as friends and then venture out and, and, and build on that you know, and, and apply that to a, a business venture. And as well as also transparency as well. Total, absolutely. Complete and utter transparency. Transparency, well again, honesty and being direct. Yeah. So they, uh, those two also work hand in hand. So transparency, absolutely. Because it's a tight bond when you are forming a partnership with someone. It's not as though that tomorrow you're going to be getting rid of them and going to a different partner. Yeah. You look at partnerships as long term as well. I absolutely look at them as long term. You know, that, that's the only way that I, I look at partnerships is I'm, a, I'm in business, you know, with, with this person for the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. I don't, I'm not particular, I don't, I don't approach any, any business relationship as one-offs as in terms of saying, well, I need you for this specific thing just this one time. And, you know, if I see you at a cocktail party, you know, we'll say hi and hello. That's not, that's not my approach in business. My approach in business is to grow the relationship. It's absolutely crucial. You know, grow the relationship, grow the friendship, and, and have that trust in each other, that full transparency to say, hey, listen, we're going to do great things together over the next 10 to 20 years, and, and we're not only going to do it as partners, we're going to do it as friends. And we're going to have fun along the way. Yeah. Fun is the key word, people. So, you know, have lots and lots of fun while you're doing it. A lot, a lot of producers, you know, they, they kind of take this, you know, industry too serious. And to be quite honest, I take it too serious at times as well. But you have to learn. I mean, I was just recently on a, on a few movie sets, and you know, you can you can feel that kinetic energy. You know, people are just there. They're having fun. They're joking around while while they're working. So the key word is fun. You know, there's no point in getting involved in movie making if you're if you're not having fun. You know, I mean. You know, I know a, a boatload of different investors, you know, that could easily be, you know, continue making the money that, that the way that they are, you know, for them, money is easy, you know, whether it's a real estate developer wanting to invest into movies, whether it be a high net worth in terms of, you know, whether, you know, a trust fund that he was left with or some sort of backing that he has from, you know, family money, some sort of family office. Mm -hmm. If they wanted to continue making money, they just stick to what they're doing. You know, they get into movie making because, and I'm not saying that money's not important. Of course, money is important. It's absolutely crucial, but have fun while you're doing it. So the whole, the whole intention is for them to, uh, the whole intention is for them to actually get involved into movie making, not just to seek out a, you know, a good return on investment, but first and foremost, to have fun. 
Absolutely. If you're not having fun, you're not in the right industry. You know, when you go to a movie theater and you watch a movie, you know, you're having fun. You're there yeah. watching a movie to have fun. You're not, you're not, some people go in there to, you know, because they're movie buffs and, you know, they go in there to analyze things and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you go in to see Captain America or you go in to see, you know, um, any, any type of these movies, uh, you know, first and foremost with, with fun on your mind. Absolutely, and I, no, I definitely enjoy every time that I go into the theater. Next two of us. Yeah. How do you feel about passion projects? I, I, uh, passion projects are, are, ve are very, uh, very important. People that have passion projects should absolutely follow, you know, pr pursue that passion. Uh, but my recommendation is don't allow the passion to um, pretty much dictate in terms, of, in terms of the reality of the situation. You know, it takes money to make movies. There's inherent risk involved in making movies, uh, so you have to be very cognizant of that. You know, don't allow that passion to to dictate in terms of a, of an investor. You know, putting up putting up money uh, and taking that risk associated with um, with with an investment such as that. Mm -hmm. But you have to really find a common ground in terms of saying it's a passion project, but it's also be very respectful to the investors or to the banks that you're doing business with, and really understand their point of view, which is it's a business venture, it's a risk. And uh, you have to really understand that risk associated with it. So to answer the question very clearly is um, it, it's really 50-50, you know. Allow that passion to really, you know, be the driving force, but understand the business and the, uh, the inherent risk, the inherent financial risk that's associated with it. So you also in the financing side as well, it's like do you, with each aspect of the project, do you like separate them or do you feel that they're equally connected in some way? Like, from each perspective, what do you look for when you're looking for a project and you're taking it on? Do you like being really submerged in it or like one off of going like, okay, that's someone else's thing to... Well, if I'm looking for specific components in a project, I look at my own creation, the pipe, is, is what I like to call it. Professionalism, innovation, passion, and experience. Um, so I need to feel a connection with the product and the people behind the making of that product. You know, to the, to the point where I lose sleep. I take inspiration from my own acronyms. <laughs> Which is cool. Yes. <laughs> I like so, that. Um, you know, so, you know, I, ju just to simplify it, you know, just, 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 for me, it's it's always helped me, you know, just the pipe, you know, just professionalism, innovation, passion, and experience. And if you look at if you look at those four components, you know, they pretty much sum up um, not not only the the requirements that you need to to operate in this business successfully, but um, uh, you know, everybody comes in with um, being some sort of a film fan. You know, I, I don't think people would be yeah. operating in in the industry if they weren't movie buffs um, first and foremost. So you know the key, the key component also out of the out of the pipe is uh, is passion specifically. So also when you are directly involved as like the executive producer, it's like does it feel any different than when you're one away where it's like you weren't directly involved in the physical process, but yet at the same time it's like you did the financing part. It's like how do you how do you separate those two feelings and not want to make them as one? Well, first of all, I don't get involved in anything that I don't produce. So the criteria doesn't really change there, but anything that I do get involved in, it's a thousand percent commitment. So, you know, we get involved as, as early as possible, even as early as even the script stages. I like to see projects a little bit, be a little bit more advanced in terms of having a polished script. If they're open to creative changes, obviously we would give our input. And then from there we would structure, you know, the financing and, and the necessary components behind it that's needed to take it to market. 
And then co-productions, I mean, especially the, um, the 56 treaties that Canada has, are a huge advantage because uh, not only can you mitigate risk, but you can create foundations for long-term and successful partnerships. I personally feel that the uh, treaties that Canada has are, are underutilized. Uh, I said that to a colleague of mine uh, fairly recently and he completely agreed. Just because there's so many tools that are associated with plugging into, uh, whether it be Canada, Australia, or Canada, the UK, uh, Canada, and China, uh, you know, the treaties are, are a huge advantage. And uh, my approach to any, any co-production uh, with a treaty country is always long-term. So pretty much what I said earlier about, about partnerships, uh, the same thing applies to co-production because a co-production co under a treaty agreement is a partnership. So I, I, I personally feel the only way that you should look at that is long-term. And then under that co-production, under that partnership, cre you know, my, my advice is create a sustainable model that works, then just repeat it and make it stronger and make it better. Uh, don't complicate or overthink. And, um, you know, folks, that's my, my biggest piece of advice here. Don't complicate something that's, that's, that's not complicated already going into it. You know, if it looks easy, it feels easy, that's because it's meant to be easy. So don't overthink it, don't overcomplicate it. And, you know, producers obviously, often they fall into that trap where, you know, they overthink, you know, whether it be about the cast or the distribution or what if this and what if that. And, and the more you think about that, the more that you delay the process and the more that you delay the process, you're never going to make a movie. Yeah, you it's, know? it's always going to be the what if I could have done this, what if I could have exactly. done that. Just do the best that you can, you know, to get the project to the point where, you know, if you believe in it 100%, even if only you believe in it in 98, 99%, you know, as long as we're not talking 30, 40%, then we should be fine. <laughs> then we should be fine. But just take that, you know, take that leap and, and just get it done. And um, and uh, again, surround yourself with the right type of partners, the right the right type of uh, not only producers and, and directors and cast, but uh, uh, specifically uh, specifically uh, distributors that obviously are gonna are gonna take that product and and take it to market for the for the world to experience. Also, uh, though, when you get into co-productions, you're also getting into like multiple jurisdictions. That's right. So, how does one actually be able to balance out those jurisdictions, and how is it all handled? Because when you're in that, is it when you're in that country, it's that rule. When you're here, it's this rule. How do you get around all of that? Well, jur well, jurisdictions can be very tricky depending on how many countries you involve. As an extensive list of uh, preconditions have to be satisfied. So, my answer to that is is do enough due diligence and only use what you need to justify the costs. So if you, if you don't need uh, a trilateral situation uh, by, let's say, as an example, using Canada, UK, and Australia, if the costs don't justify that because, you know, one of the preconditions is that you have to have a producer uh, or a, a significant piece of senior, of senior talent from each of those countries in order to justify and further support that that uh, that co-production so it can be very tricky it can be very costly as well so i would say um you know jurisdictions are very tricky but you know the best way to deal with them is only use what you need to justify the cost okay and also you've been in the industry now for quite a few years so yeah. it's like You've been through the trenches and all of that. So what do you think is like the biggest evolution that's happened? Three in, in particular. Number one, technological advancements and tools to produce films. Number two, diversity of distribution outlets to, um, to distribute content. Mm -hmm. And number three, some talent that are willing to attach themselves to strong quality 
content-driven films without a huge um, fixed fee compensation on the front end um, are, are pretty much you know the three that I've I've noticed as, as an evolution because you know you'll see a lot of these you know a lot of a lot of strong actors and actresses that are extremely talented they they kind of um, uh, from time to time, they often fall into that trap of, you know, that Hollywood trap in terms of mm. only associating with Temple-type movies and superhero-type movies. And, and those are great. Those are awesome movies. I, I love all those movies. But at the same time, they kind of want to get their feet wet in something that's more, uh, more challenging, you know. And whether that be taking on a period piece or a drama, they, they really want to, you know, expand their, their creative capabilities. So depending on the, on the content itself, you can actually appeal to some pretty big-name talent that... You know, either they themselves have a passion for it or it, it, it resonates for them, maybe, you know, an environment that they grew up in or something along those lines. They can relate to it um, personally. Um, and, and you can get absolutely talented <coughs> to react to content like that and, um, and attach themselves to a project like that. And then on the, um, on the uh, technological advancements, I mean, I mean listen, I mean, there's, there's so many tools now available. From virtual, a, a virtual reality, machinima. three, three, yeah, exactly, machinima, <laughs> 3D. You know, people just recording things just on their, you know, on their, um, on their phone, pretty much. I mean, I, at the end of the day, you can really make a movie, a good quality movie, with, you know, I mean, I've got a, I've got a Samsung Note 4. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, on the the video quality, the playback quality on that is absolutely superb. So, you know, you can really create movies with pretty much anything nowadays and and uh, especially especially your phone so I would say those tools that are immediately available to anyone and, and everyone that's interested in, in making good movies and then in terms of uh, the outlets available to distribute that that type of content you know you mentioned Machinima you know Netflix Hulu Amazon YouTube yep. um, you know there's Many different outlets available. I mean, even now, I was having a conversation with an associate of mine. We were talking about the, the mobile platforms. Uh, I recently had this also uh, this conversation with my uh, uh, my partners over at Trimax. In that conversation with Trimax, we were discussing how advanced the mobile world has gotten in terms of taking content, even short form content, and blasting it out to. Uh, um, to uh, to mobile devices and getting people to really interact and experience with them. I mean, Verizon just recently uh, introduced uh, Verizon Go 90, and Rogers very uh, you know also a very similar platform on the Canadian side. So you can really interact with all forms of content 24 hours a day with anything as simple and as something that you know is always on you 24/7, which is your phone. So the outlets available to distribute content is is really is really endless in terms of what you can use. And who knows what the future is going to bring in terms Yeah, exactly. Well, it's only going to get better, bigger and better. Soon you'll probably be able to watch a 3D movie on your phone. Yeah. That's you a, know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I want those glasses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, or it's like with the Google uh, glasses. Yeah, the Google glasses, yeah. yeah, exactly. Just walking the streets and, you know. Uh, right at your that's right. Yeah, before jumping on the bus, hold on, hold on, let me just finish watching this clip. And it's like people are looking at, what is this person doing with these shiny... Shiny glasses on. Well, I'm just watching the tail end of you know, of you know a Marvel movie or whatever it is, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is mind-boggling what is going to be happening. And there's also a lot of shifts that are happening in the financial world too. Absolutely. So, can you talk a little bit about like the different kinds of finances that you deal with, like? 
in terms of that, like the tax incentives, different kinds of things as well, because with this new shift is coming also, new shifts and everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I'm, I deal with all layers of the capital stack, so I deal with you know, uh, debt financing, I deal with mezzanine, which is, you know, in, uh, in, in the industry people define as gap financing, and then I also deal with equity as well. So I'm, 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 I'm involved in everything from, from A to Z. And then as I mentioned earlier on the corporate side, uh, mergers and acquisitions and asset-based financing. So, so I pretty much do it all. Uh, I'm a big, specifically as it relates to films um, and, and television, I'm a, a big proponent of tax incentives, uh, specifically because there's so much soft money available now that uh, they can be tapped, easily tapped, especially if you're a Canadian. Uh, so, but, <laughs> but, uh, but it's about applying yourself to, to adapt with the times and how flexible you are in your production. I, um, I disagree with this whole uh, idea of getting small pieces of money from numerous separate groups and putting it together. Uh, I, uh, my definition of that, I call it the subordination model, just because every investor and lender subordinates to each other without a clear sense of recruitment and schedule. So, you know, on one hand, it may, it, it may appear to be easy, but it's something that I completely disagree with. You know, I think, you know, I, I mean, as an example, you know, if you're going out and you're getting X amount of money against your tax credits and, and your, your pre-sales from, let's say, a bank or whatnot, and then filling the rest of it, you know, with gap, super gap, um, let's say product placement, sweat equity. I mean, you've got so many different components in there already, and then you've got the missing piece. And producers usually try to fill that with with equity, and and not aware of the inherent risk that's associated with equity. I mean, equity carries the highest level of risk, but is is treated as the little guy. You know, as the the last person in line to get paid back after everybody else. And unfortunately, you know, some investors uh, have not really had a positive experience. And in regards to that model, uh, very few have uh, had a positive experience. But my advice in, uh, when you're going out and approaching financing is really just to try to simplify it as much as possible. So, you know, if you've got, let's say, a $2 million movie, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you have the flexibility of shooting it in Canada, you know, tap into the tax incentives, you know, max out you know, as much of the soft money as you can, and then, and then mix that with really casting up the film as, as much as you can. With uh, with strong talent, and then at that point there, um, you can either you can either fill that after tax credits, you know, with equity, and and look at a a gap against worldwide, where essentially one person is taking all the risks, mm -hmm. but it, uh, that risk, a good portion of it, is offset by uh, the soft money, so tax credits and pre-sales. But again, he doesn't have to he or she doesn't have to subordinate to anybody else. It's just you know, it's just them in line. They've taken 100% of the risk, but they have a clear and cut uh, sense in terms of what their what their recruitment will look like and when they can expect to be repaid. So it's got a really wide possibilities. It's absolutely wide possibilities. I mean, I for me it, it, it for me it starts off with the script and the mindset of the producer, but for me it's it, it's about offsets with remaining little risk and substantial upside. I'm not talking about using only talent names as a means to get an investor to write a check. That's that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the security behind the hard bottom dollar. Uh, offset as much of the financial risk as you can, you know, as possible, by acquiring as much soft money as you can through tax credits, product integration, sweat equity, traditional equity, and deferrals, which, and the deferrals can actually come from post-production or VFX vendors. So once you have that net figure, uh, and let's say it's 
40% less risk with a 60% exposure, I would fill that remaining 60% of the finance plan with either equity secured against sufficient worldwide sales or pre-sales, which must be, and they have to be, equivalent and preferably 10 to 20% over collateralized as a built-in cushion in case of um, in case of any unexpected occurrences. So something volatile happens in a foreign market and all of a sudden distributors start to get nervous, you know, you want to have that cushion built in there. And, and I usually like to build in 10 to 20%. And then a gap against unsold territories can also be used in the event of a possible shortfall. A strategy regarding pre-sales is to, is to build up the value of the film with a strong director cast and possible because it, it only increases the saleability, a strong short promo, uh, printed advertising commitment and, uh, and a domestic backstop, which tells the foreign markets essentially that there's, uh, there's real domestic theatrical interest. Mm -hmm. And uh, this all combined pretty much reduces the gap between the pre-sale take before the film is completed and the actual sales take, which is after the film is completed, uh, which are very close with the, um, uh, are, are very close together between the pre-sale take, not near fire sale pricing. So, you know, if you've got, if you can build up the talent and, and build up the value, the sellability of the product, then yeah, it's still defined as a pre-sale, but it's not being treated as a pre-sale. It's coming very, very close to what the sale would actually sell for after the film was completed. So you're really trying to, my advice is that you're really trying to get as, as close to that end target as possible by building up the front end with as, as much value as you can and as I mentioned down to director cast, you know, if you're able to, to shoot a short promo, essentially guaranteed, um, uh, well, no, scratch that, not guaranteed, but conditional uh, domestic interest um, from domestic distributors that would take it out theatrically subject to uh, the type of cast that they want to see, the type of story that they feel that would uh, would appeal domestically. As well as also things like the, the social media components and stuff like that. Now I know that there's also some bad, because <laughs> they are losing favor in a lot of ways. Uh, things like crowdfunding and stuff like that. So how does that play into the models and methods of finance and what's your point of view on this? Well, I mean, crowdfunding... Um, is, is definitely fairly recent, you know, and people have, have done it successfully. Uh, it's not something that I uh, am involved in and, and associate with, I, and, and for a, a variety of different reasons, I feel that the uh, uh, the process and the turnaround associated with crowdfunding can be very, uh, uh, not only troublesome, but very tiresome as well. And um, if, you, if you can avoid crowdfunding, I would, I would suggest that, uh, depending on the timeline that, that you're on in terms of when you want to make the actual film itself. Um, as I said, there's other different ways to to uh, to target that uh, that same amount of money, if not more, um, i.e. the Canadian subsidies that uh, that you can tap um, and, and apply that to uh, to the uh, to the films itself, and and really essentially people that are involved in, in the crowdfunding in terms of what the what their end objectives are, um, you know specifically on the producer side, you know how much money do they actually really want to raise um, versus how much money is really required. So, but uh, the the two main challenges that I, I find in crowdfunding is, is really is really uh, timing and, and turnaround because if it's not on, on your schedule because it's very time consuming to raise money money via crowdfunding um, Definitely. then it's not it's not something that I would uh, I would suggest pursuing but shouldn't you crowdsource early on for your film like not crowdfund but crowdsource yes absolutely crowdsource absolutely is, uh, is, is, is a very strong method as well but again that depends in terms of who you're sourcing to the target market. Your target market. Yeah. So, 
again, there's a process associated with that and, you know, pros and cons. Um, so I would definitely uh, do as much due diligence as possible prior to, uh, prior to, uh, to venturing out and, uh, and uh, starting that process. Definitely, as well as also, so in, uh, just wrapping into that category, then what do you think, uh, or can you tell us, because you also talked about mitigating risk, some of them mitigate risk in terms of finance so that when you're approaching a financier or when you're talking about finance in general, to mitigate it against the project. Well, um, for me, the key word is, is offsets. So offset as much as you can upfront by using uh, tax credits. So as much as, again, you know, max out as much soft money as you can. You know, try to structure in some deferrals, some sweat equity. Product integration is also very interesting. A lot of people don't realize in terms of huge product integration is whether you can get cash up front or whether you can get in-kind services. It still, it still eats away at the budget. So, um, and, the, uh, and, the, and the financial risk associated with it. So I would definitely look at product integration. I mean, obviously if you're dealing with a period piece, obviously, you can't you can't use it, but if you're dealing with a you know contemporary piece, product integration may actually make uh, you know make a lot of sense, and and a lot of uh, financial value can come from that product integration. But uh, to be very clear, it's it's really about offsets. You know, offset as much as you can with soft money. You know, if you're dealing with a you know five million dollar, six million dollar film, reduce that risk as much as possible. First and foremost, with tax credits, if you can structure in a co-production treaty and. And you've got you know a, a colleague in in you know in a treaty country such as using as, as an example Australia or the UK where they have very extremely strong uh, tax incentives that would perfectly complement the Canadian tax credit system. Then uh, absolutely again, but justify the cost before you go you go too far in, in, into it because a five million dollar film can end up being a six or seven million dollar film at the end of the day. Um, so you know obviously there's costs associated with that. And then in terms of equity, because that's obviously something that we deal with on a daily basis, is reducing the, the risk for the equity investor. And like I said, if it's if it's a five million, six million dollar film, you're not you're not approaching that investor saying, Hey, listen, can you write me a check for five, six million dollars? It's like, well, your risk starts at five, six million dollars. So let's use a round number and say six million. Your your risk starts at six million dollars, but hey, I've got a million and a half from tax credits. Hey, I've got I've been able to defer, you know, three hundred thousand dollars. Hey, we've got some sweat equity from a uh, post-production house or from a visual effects vendor. So all of a sudden his risk for, uh, that starts off at six million dollars drops to let's say you know three or four million dollars. And then at that point there I would suggest them bringing in of course the sales that uh, are applied towards his or her recruitment. So if you've got sales that are solely based on talent you know try to obviously package that as much as possible with um, with other components i.e. Uh, P&A or some some short promo or footage, or or a substantial increase in the type of talent that you want to target, to justify uh, that security. Because at the end of the day, this the sales, especially if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna bring in equity and 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 not mix and match with actual pre-sales itself, uh, but essentially do a significant gap uh, against worldwide. So if you have a three million dollar gap and and the equity investor, you know, will obviously cover that. Mm -hmm. And essentially he takes worldwide what well, he or she takes worldwide as collateral. And then at that point there, really really justifying the cost of that equity, number one. And number two, ensuring that that, uh, that equity investor is, is a thousand percent comfortable with their security. So because the one thing you don't want is you don't want he or she to get nervous in terms of how they're gonna recoup and when they're gonna recoup. So you wanna be able to have a a clear and and uh, and concise strategy laid out in terms of the recruitment.
And realistic on the timeline as well. Absolutely, specifically on the timeline. Because the one thing that the investors don't want to do is they don't want to wait too long. I mean, I've I've always I've always advised again taking the example of let's say a gap against worldwide if that's indeed the route that you wanted to take without pre-selling anything uh, and let's just use the same example that we're using three million dollars then i would immediately uh, start well i mean because because you could look at it and, and you could probably look at the smaller territories to pre-sell in a situation like that mm -hmm. so that way he or she can obviously start seeing their investment back so if he if he or she let's say fronted let's say three million dollars and you went out to the you know, to the uh, to the international community. I mean, I would target some of those smaller territories. You're not going to get that much out of them, but you know, cash is cash at the end of the day. So if he or she can see that they're starting to make some money back even before the film is completed, it just it, it just it, it it further enhances that that trust and that transparency in, in the partnership. And it does also help uh, with that. And when you're looking at it, so I was wondering in regards to that, because you had talked about many promos. So in terms of proof of concept and packages, it's like, what do you like to see from the people in terms of that package? Like, are you a fan of proof of concept? I'm, de I'm definitely a fan of proof of concept. I, well, it's not even just a fan. It's, it's definitely a requirement. So, you know, in that package, it should include, at least for me, it should include, obviously, a, um, a good script. Solid budget that's obviously prepared by a um, ideally for me a veteran you know someone that's been doing it you know for uh, for a long time and and not just anybody but obviously specifically um, someone that's worked in that budget space before so let's say if you're submitting a package to me and the budget is six million dollars um, I, I look at I look at the crew that's that's associated with that you know the people that are are behind again as I said earlier behind the making of that product uh, so if someone's preparing a budget I, I'd like to find out if they First and foremost, if they worked on budgets like this before, which would again ease the um, um, ease the uh, the nervousness in terms of the uh, the the risk associated with it, the financial risk. Uh, so, script, budget, schedule, finance plan absolutely is important because you want to be able to have a clear breakdown in terms of how 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 they see the movie being financed, and then uh, associating a finance plan with um, creative input. Because the one thing that I've always found is producers deliver finance plans and they're very fixed in their ways and uh, and they shouldn't be like that because you know if if someone such as myself can can find a cleaner way to do mm -hmm. it and, and a much more um, stronger way to do it in, in terms of protecting the integrity of the film they should they should definitely be open to it so I would say a, you know first first draft finance plan and a essentially a uh, production overview a production overview that's you know I would say eight to ten pages. Uh, that gives a um, concise over a concise snapshot in terms of the story, the characters. Uh, what what is this movie about? What is it targeting? Um, the uh, director and the producers behind that project. Any cast that is attached or has expressed interest, or cast that uh, that you are targeting, and uh, and then essentially what's what's really really important for me that I look for in a production overview package is uh, is the status of the project. Where is the project currently? So you know, have you have you, have you pre-sold any territories? Have you uh, secured post-production deals? Have you uh, have you received estimates from a bankable sales firm? So definitely, status of the project is uh, is extremely important because the one thing that financiers look uh, look at is um, is the uh, time factor associated with a project. At least for me personally, like I, if I'm interested in a project, I want to go like yeah. right away. And if it's not something that's that's fully advanced and ready to go, then 
it's, I'm not really getting all warm and fuzzy. You know, if it's something that's still, you know, six months out, it's, it's not going to appeal to me as much, at least for me, regardless of what the story is, because, you know, there's markets that, that come up every single year, such as Berlin and Cannes and TIFF and AFM, um, and you want to be able to hit those markets as much as you can. So presenting also with that point of readiness is also very important to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And important of readiness, absolutely. How do you find good estimates? So uh, I know that there are a lot of different sales agents out there that will give you sales estimates, yeah. but they're not always valid. No, they're not. I would, I, and, and for me on, on the distribution side, again, it's, it's about dealing with you know stronger stronger sales agents that do believe in the in the project that believe in the director that believe in the cast and the uh, and the and the producer so it's definitely teaming up with the right sales agents the thing about sales agents and rightfully so they're just not going to deliver sales as uh, estimates you know just you know and, and just send them out to you know everybody who picks up the phone and calls them so uh, their time is precious as well as I said earlier so they want to know that they're involved in the project if they're going to be selling it they want to know that you know, they're not competing with somebody else or 10 other sales agents that you're talking to at the same time, which again is not, you know, I mean, again, time is precious, right? So, and, and it's about being honest and direct with them. So they want to know that, you know, the time that they're putting into to put together the estimates. And that's not something like blank sheets of paper that they have just sitting on their desktop, you know. They have a, a team of people that are being, that are constantly working and looking at where each territory is at any given day. So it really takes time, energy, and specifically money to put together those sales estimates. So first and foremost, it's, it's teaming and finding the right sales agent that you click with in terms of the synergy that's, that's immediately there and essentially proving that the film has, is viable, that has uh, value and, and saleability pot potential associated with it. And, uh, and then ensuring that sales agent that they're the right one for the project and, and that you're the one that's going to go to back for them and you're not talking to anybody else. And then essentially package the project uh, from, from there at that point there in terms of delivering the cast that you have in mind to that sales agent and that sales agent putting together the necessary estimates that you need. And those estimates may not, you know, they, they may not... They may, they may not be a home run initially, so you have to do some tweaking. You know, maybe a talent that a specific piece of talent that you had in mind, and the budget that you're on is not is is not justified. So if you're if you're on a six million dollar pro, uh, project and 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 you cast you know and you have a cast that let's say is only worth one to two million dollars, well I, I look at that and saying well you may not have sufficient security there to make the movie, whether you involve equity or not. So that partnership with a sales agent is extremely extremely crucial. And knowing more that they are the sales agent for Abs it. Absolutely, yeah. Because again, time is money and people don't want to have their time wasted. And, and the thing about sales agents is that, you know, they're constantly being uh, submitted projects 24-7. And, uh, and just like me, they, 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 they'll only, I'm not going to speak on, on anybody's behalf, but based on my experience, they'll, they'll gravitate more towards projects that are in, a, in an advanced state of readiness. You know, something that they can, that they can gravitate to immediately you know, if, if uh, you know if a certain film festival is a month or two away, uh, something that they can that they can get their hands on and, and take to market right away, as opposed to something that's still in the early stages. Well, which makes sense because also we're becoming so much of a more global market too. Yeah, so that's it's right. like finance is becoming global. Everything is becoming just much more global and evolving as filmmakers. So yeah. in the terms of the process. How do you feel that becoming more global is like affecting in terms of also the financial and the taste of the audience and the way that films are actually getting made? <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, audiences are a lot more sophisticated 
than they used to be at one point. So they're very uh, picky in terms of the type of films, and, and, and rightfully so. I, I'm, I'm very picky now in terms of the type of movies that I want to see. You know, we spoke about Diana Kemp earlier, and you know, she's extremely picky in terms of the type of movies that she wants to see. So I would say, in, from, a, from a global standpoint, um, uh, understanding what people really want to see. Because nowadays people want to see something completely different that they haven't seen before. There's always going to be that market for the superhero movies, and, and that's all, you know, that's all great, that's all fantastic, but, you know, you take movies like, um, you know, Paranormal, you take movies like Insidious, you take movies like uh, all these other lower budget movies that are all original intellectual properties. You know, this is original content, you know, a lot of them are not derived from a, a comic book or a graphic novel or anything like that. And they end up making a boatload of money, and in some cases, a lot more than what the studios are spending money on. So you have to look at that and say, well, why are audiences, you know, uh, all around the world, you know, interested in, in that type of, that, those type of movies when you've got, you know, uh, multi-million dollar franchises? And it's just, it's, you know, it's just the, it's just the, it's just the global appeal of, you know, the type of content that they're interested in and that they want to associate with. And, the type of content that they essentially want to tell their friends. And, um, and, and in terms of financing, we talked about uh, crowdfunding yep. um, and, um, and, and the, the tools that are available in terms of soft money that, uh, that can be utilized. And, and specifically touching on the global aspect of the, uh, of the question, Canada's uh, 56 treaties that I mentioned, you know, that's, again, heavily underutilized. So, you know, if you have friends in Australia, if you have friends in in, in London that, uh, that you guys can collaborate on in, in terms of making a movie. You, you have an absolutely phenomenal resource at your fingertips that, uh, that should be fully utilized and essentially milked as much as possible because it's, like I said, it's, you know, my, you know, the, the dinner that I had with an associate of mine, it's just, it's, it's being used, but it's not really being used. You know, uh, you don't really see a lot of large scale productions using it. And, uh, and the amount of essentially what I like to define as as free money, because to an extent it is free money, you know, because it's it's being accompanied by an uh, by an economic stimulus, you know, for for both countries. So using that as an example, let's say Canada and UK, you know, both countries are being are, are, are being promoted in terms of its infrastructure, in terms of its crews and whatnot, and you're driving business to both countries. So you know, under under the under under the individual treaty acts, each country is being incentivized in terms of the uh, the incentives that they offer. Uh, but then also uh, in return as a thank you gesture, you know, they're incentivizing producers to say, hey, listen, you know, we can, you know, give you X amount back um, by bringing by bringing the work here to uh, to the UK or to Toronto or to Montreal. Because you uh, you were nice enough to come to us, That's we're right. giving right. back to you. Yeah. You well. always have to you always have to incentivize. I, I always believe. I mean, one of my core business business concepts and, and something that I've always applied is uh, you have to incentivize. If you do not incentivize in any business, um, you're just, well, it, again, just solely based on my experience, you don't get far. Very true. It's like it doesn't really come through in that unless you do. Yeah, exactly. Also, it's like, because it, you had made mention as well, with so many distribution platforms also available to us. It's like now with the on-demand, VOD, all of these great, like, it, it's endless possibilities of distribution platforms and then. So also, because it's becoming cross-platforming and globalization in that way, 
and that we're starting to see that, you know, productions need more legs than just, okay, I'm looking at it theatrically. How does that also, you know, move the financing while it's also franchising, as also well as breaking out and occurring? Like, do things stand or single shingle now? Do they multiple shingle? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of the distribution platforms that are available, I mean, you're actually seeing, like, films. Like, like take something like House of Cards, for example. House of Cards was started on Netflix at a time when Netflix is not was not in the place where it is today. And that just completely exploded. And Netflix obviously evolved from there in terms of getting involved in acquiring, you know, A-list, A-list type movies, you know, whether it be, you know, distributing them or, or also getting involved in the financing of them, which is even now. So in, in terms of the models that are, the, the, the models and the platforms that are available uh, today, you can, you know, I mean, you can use, again, just using something like, um, like Hulu using something like Amazon, using something like uh, uh, Go90, Verizon Go90, you know, I mean AT&T now in the States is, um, is, uh, is coming out with a, um, you know, a, uh, a platform that's, uh, that's, uh, that they intend to, uh, to compete directly with, uh, with Go90 and, and then you're going to have other companies coming as well, but the point is, is that they're giving us, you know, more of a, an incentive to distribute content on other platforms that are immediately available that, okay, do not have, you know, theatrical uh, written all over them in terms of, you know, putting it, putting it up on the, on the big screen. But again, you know, you're still appealing to that audience. You're yeah. still appealing to the billions and billions of people that sleep with their iPhones or that sleep with their, their, their Samsungs and they're, you know, they're laying in bed or on the couch and, you know, they're, they're watching the movie on their phone. So they don't necessarily have to go to the movie uh, have to go to the movies in order to uh, to experience um, you know the type of the type of entertainment that you've created and and vice versa you know I mean um, as a, as a filmmaker you don't necessarily have to require that people go to the movies in order for you to uh, uh, in order for you to um, to get that exposure um, and same thing with investors you don't necessarily have to only rely on theatrical release obviously theatrical releases of course are the you know the biggest return of yeah. uh, of money at the box office, but I'm saying, you know, based on based on the risk, based on the on the size of the risk and the size of the budget, you know, there are other uh, distribution platforms available to uh, to distribute content outside of uh, outside of the theaters. Some people have said, like at the AFM, they were talking about people having movies that could springboard into a TV series, yes. and that's basically what they were looking for. Do you do you subscribe to that? Do you? See things that are good about it, bad about it. I absolutely see the thing that there's a, there's a lot of good about that because the fact that something may not work as a film doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't work. You know, the fact that the fact that it works, but it may work as a television series versus a film. Again, you know, it still works, um, and and you still appeal to that uh, to that audience. So, um, you know, with that, I know that may not be the. Um, the uh, the the objective that was originally intended, but again, you know, are you are you willing to adapt with the times as a filmmaker and say, okay, listen, it may not work as a feature, but you know, getting the opportunity to uh, to to extend it as a television series, introduce more characters, you know, um, uh, enhance the story in terms of people really wanting to get more of the uh, more of the story than they originally intended to as a um, as as uh, as the film was originally planned as a feature I feel is is a huge plus I mean uh, you know and I've definitely had that uh, come across my desk uh, several times where you know 
distributors have looked at content and said this is a great feature, but it would make an even better uh, television show. And you know, look at like a series like 24. I mean, 24 is a phenomenal television series, but it could absolutely work as a feature. And I remember people always saying, why is this you know being made as a television series? You know, this should be like up on the big screen. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it saying, but why shouldn't it be a television series? Because you can tell so much more in a television series. You can introduce so many more characters. Uh, you can be a lot more flexible in a uh, in a series than compared to a feature because in a feature you really only have about you know 100 to 120 minutes. Um, in some cases, even less than that, more like 90 minutes uh, of an audience's attention before they start to um, you know get. Uh, um, you know, impatient, or that they're you know you lose their attention. But with a television show, you're you're really you're really grabbing their attention because you know if you can end every single week with some sort of cliffhanger, it's like well, I don't know if I should be watching this versus like no no now I have to watch it because yeah it's gonna be on again next week at the same time on the same day, and I I personally feel you can't get that kind of um, depending on the story that you want to tell. Again, it all goes back to the script. Depending on the story that you want to tell, it may not you, it, that that kind of effect may not have the uh, the kind of impact that you're tending uh, in a feature, but it'll work wonderfully in the TV series. So, as well as also in, sometimes in a different medium as well. That's right. Yeah. Because sometimes it's like something that may work as a feature may also work as a machinima platform or may work. As Absolutely. Yeah. It's just it all starts to, for me. It all starts with the script. It all starts with. You know what is you know what what's the what's the uh, what's the end objective? What's the market that you're targeting? What's the market that you want to appeal to? You know you should always you should always look at a script with, you know with with that kind of market in mind. Even as a writer, I mean you know Diana when she when she writes, you know she's constantly um, you know looking at it in terms of you know what you know what is the target? You know I mean you know um, you know my uh, my uh, my partner Alan Glazer um, mm -hmm. uh, from uh, from Trimax again you know, a conversation that we're always constantly having. You know? In terms of you know who do we uh, who do we want to target at the end of the day you know who's the who's the market for this type of film? Yeah. Do you see television taking over um, a little bit more power than film? Um, I just started watching some of the TV shows that have come out, like um, Magician, which I think is out of Vancouver. Yeah. Is it's captivating? Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Or, or Outlander, out and and absolutely. they're just really they're as you said. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, they're absolutely exploding. Um, there's always good, there's always going to be films. Films are always going to dominate. So that's 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 not going away uh, anytime soon. Uh, people always want to experience that that big that big screen uh, that big screen movie. So um, you know, up on the big screen with the bag of popcorn, the sound, uh, you know, the um, the um, the image quality. I mean, all all that stuff. Um, so to answer your question, no, I don't see television. Uh, taking over. Uh, what I do see television doing is um, creating a platform and a and a and a, um, and a stepping stool uh, to tell bigger stories that um, and and more more involved stories on television uh, than than compared to a feature uh, in terms of really taking something. Um, well, and look at something like Terminator. I, I, I personally don't think it worked. I mean, that's my, that's my personal opinion. But you know, take a look at something like Terminator. You had the feature film, and then you had Sarah Connor uh, Chronicles. Yep. You know, so you had you had that. And again, the storyline that was in the television series was completely different from the storyline that was in the feature, because you had such a huge canvas to work on. You know, mm -hmm. why should they 
kind of work concurrently. I mean, if you can, if you can still make sense of it in terms of tying it in, but show one part of the world in the television series and show a completely different part of the world in the feature, um, I think that's that's magic, absolutely. I know that a lot of the the um, people in the industry were looking at it and saying film was was starting to die, and we had that writer strike that had everybody stockpiling scripts and. And then we had reality television, and we had people yeah. just totally, totally uh, dominated by reality television. And then they started to drift away. Do you think they're starting to come back? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially you know with the type of films that are being made. I mean, um, you know, the Avatars, the Marvels, you know, those type of movies. They're absolutely starting to come back. And. And even you know, even the good indies, you know, the good you know, the good independent films that um, that are you know making a splash at the festivals. There's always going to be a market for it. You know, people want you know people want a good involved story. You know, you look at something like um, you know like um, you look at something like Prisoners. You know, with, with you know with you know with that amazing cast that they had, and it was a, it was a phenomenal story. No special effects, no visual effects, nothing nothing fancy, just a very straightforward simple story and and I feel that the market is so saturated with um, um, heavily commercialized uh, movies that uh, there's a lot of people in uh, in various markets across the world that want an out and they want to they want to see something and experience something very different and you're seeing a lot of those films not being made in terms of um, know strong strong narrative strong stories that don't rely necessarily on uh, on uh, visual effects and and big explosions and uh, you know big entertainment value yeah, people don't want to see necessarily everything blow up that's they right wanna... they want something that they yeah. can they I've always I've always felt that they want they want something that they can they can relate to something that they can feel you know something that you know if it, whether it be a tragic moment in a uh, in a movie that uh, uh, that's extremely unfortunate, but we're human beings. So when you look at that, it's like you relate to it, yeah. and you relate to it more than compared to you know um, someone in a superhero costume flying around. You know, it's entertaining, but you know how can you relate to it versus something tragic or traumatic that you've seen in that other movie that you can relate to it on a personal level? Very true. And also with that is also coming in things like a more globally diverse, they, people want to see their story on the screen as yeah, well. Absolutely. Because I'm noticing also stronger female driven characters, there's also more, like a whole bunch of different genre stories. It's like, but what are also your feelings towards the things that, now we're also looking to novels for adaptation, it seems like that we're running through 50,000 different <laughs> <laughs> adaptations, and we're going back to the 80s with certain remakes of films that shall remain nameless. Um, <laughs> That sound like host yesters um, <laughs> and stuff, and uh, um, the others that are being talked about in the pipeline. How does that also look at it from understanding that the audience has changed? So therefore, from a financing point of view, how does that feel that that's changed? Um, not necessarily that they have they changed. You know, just because the market changes doesn't necessarily mean that the financing. Uh, changes as well. Again, it, it all it all depends on risk and essentially the type of product that you're making. 
So, you know, if you're making something that is, let's say, you know, a period piece, you know, with a very strong story, there's, as, as I said a few moments ago, there's, there's definitely now a market for it. I mean, you know, over the last several years at the Academy Awards, you know, you've seen multiple, you know, very, very strong, heavily strong dramas and period pieces that uh, just scoop up all these awards because there's definitely a market for it. People want to, people are interested in those type of movies. So when you apply financing to those type of films, it's pretty much the same process in terms of having the right story, the right commercial appeal, the right cast, uh, the right director, essentially the right um, sellability techniques for that film. And also understanding that, are you looking at, it's like a lot of them in terms of people when they look at those projects, they look at it, oh well it's a whole new generation so we can appeal to a whole new generation, but they tend to lose the original audience that was the one who actually loved the stories to begin with. So where is that fine line balance in terms of risking out for that? Are you talking specifically like remakes? Like or? for example, there was a movie that was done, I will put it right out there, uh, Gem and the Holograms. I am an 80s child. I watched Gem and the Holograms like as though <laughs> that it was candy uh, on TV. It's like I know that a lot of other people did as well. I saw the trailer even for that movie and I was like, I, and it is well known that the original person had talked to them and unfortunately they didn't go with the original person to help out with that. They decided that they were going to do a whole new take on it for a new generation who have no idea who Gem and the Holograms are and decided to put out this movie and then I looked at this trailer and I'm like okay where is the recognizable anything for someone like me yeah no absolutely that's a very strong point and and um, you know a lot of these studios they and rightfully so in their defense they they do have an interesting concept I don't think it's the right concept but an interesting concept that well people that are here today weren't around 20, 30 years ago, so let's update that film to appeal to uh, the current market today in terms of in, in terms of appealing to you know people that weren't familiar with that film. But there are certain films, like the one that you had mentioned, and other, other classics that um, I don't believe should be touched. I feel that those are classics, those are vault-type movies that are, you know, that will always have a significant amount of value no matter how many times you try to remake them or want to remake them and I personally think that it's it's up to personally what I would do instead of remaking them I would just re-release the movie uh, and and give people an opportunity to say this is this specific movie that was made at this specific time and this is why you should see this specific movie because it's it's about educating the people of this is what it was originally intended for. It's not remade. It's not, you know, so instead of remaking it and spending significantly more money, given the distribution platforms and, and various distribution models that are available today, I would take that original and just polish it off and put it on, you know, 
show it off to the world on, on the new distribution platforms that are available as opposed to spending a ridiculous amount of money trying to remake it and trying to appeal to people. Because people are always going to be interested in, in, in whatever, whatever movie that they want to see. You know, whether they like it uh, or not at the end of the day is going to be their prerogative. But instead of remaking it, you know, take the film that you had indicated, just polishing it off and putting it on Netflix or putting it on Amazon or Hulu in addition to the theaters. You know, give people a chance to, to recognize the original film for what it was intended for and they can experience it in more in more ways than one than, than what they couldn't experience and how they could experience it um, you know 20 or 30 years prior and it would be just such a much more effective way of getting through to also the new and old audience yeah. because you can still make money off of it I mean you know the, the whole idea of saying well if we don't remake it then you know we're probably gonna not gonna not gonna not gonna make that much money I, I would say that's a false statement because there's always uh, ways to make money. It's just all depends in terms of again what your what your what the end result looks like and what your what your objective is going into it. If your objective going into it and saying, well, we want to remake, you know, we want to remake Poltergeist, you know, and see if that works. Um, and our and our end objective is to make, you know, a hundred million dollars. Okay, then that's 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 a different uh, that's a different objective than than my objective. My objective would be taking the original Poltergeist and polishing it off. Yeah. You know, maybe you know maybe some deleted scenes that you know that were there. You know, sticking that back in there and re-releasing it, re-releasing it theatrically, re-releasing it on DVD and Blu-ray and and new platforms where you know today's generation can experience that original content the way that it was made, but experience it in uh, in as I said in more in more ways than one. And it's kind of interesting too because we get saturated with certain stars, and if you go and take the original movie, like for instance Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, yeah, that's right, then. That's a fresh little girl that a lot of people will never have seen. Yeah. And Absolutely. that brings more of a reality to it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. And it's, it, it's just, the, you know, it's, I mean, like even films like um, like Top Gun, you know, films like Days of Thunder. I mean, I mean right down to, I mean, you know, you had mentioned yeah. 80, 80s. Don't even get me started because I'm a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge, you know, 80s fan. It's growing up, it's just right down yeah. to the music. You don't even have to see the movie. Just like no. when you, that opening, that opening sequence, you know, like just take Top Gun, for example, and they're flying off the carrier and it's just like, you know right there, this is a special movie. This is just a special moment. You want to pump up that volume to as much as you can just to hear that music. Because again, even in that era, I remember having this conversation with a few colleagues and mm -hmm. it's like, they don't make them like they used to. That's know? right. They just, they, they don't. And it's unfortunate because I don't see why you should, you know, I, I don't see why you should, again, if something works, it works and it will yeah. always work. It may need to be refined or updated, you know, to keep up with the time, but it works and it will always work. So why, why mess with it? You know, why mess with it and say, well, you know, we're going to remake it because we know it didn't work the first time around and that's the intention of remake. Well, that's kind of putting out, you know, the, the, uh, the negativity is, yeah, yeah, and, and applying that negativity to the original mm -hmm. film. You're, you're almost kind of implying to the audience, well, we're remaking it because not only do we want to, you know, um, uh, appeal to the, you know, to the current generation and kind of give them something fresh, but for me, it, it, depending on, on, on the mindset of the, um, of, of the audience, they might interpret it and say, well, are you calling the original bad and that's why you're wanting to remake it? I mean, you can't expect people to interpret it the same way that you want to interpret it. For me, again, on an, uh, on an even playing field, 
you know, take the original, you know, and instead mm -hmm. of instead of remaking it, just re-release it and and plug into all the you know, twentieth century um, um, distribution platforms that are available for you know people to to absorb the content the way that it was intended to. And it's interesting that you brought up the music because, um, yeah, there there was a big tie-in. Now, if someone were coming to you with a project and they had a music tie-in, would that add value to? The absolutely, uh, absolutely, a thousand percent, absolutely. Yeah, and to be quite honest, I like it's it's the transmedia the component that's associated with films, right? So you yes. know, if you can if you can diversify um, and and spread your risk by saying, hey, listen. You know we're 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 investing in the film, but also you know you've got you've got the album that's associated with it as well. I mean, take something like The Bodyguard, you know, with Kevin yep. Costner and Whitney Houston. I mean, that's just a phenomenal film. You've got a very very strong story, and 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 but you've got you know a heavy music component that's associated with it as well. So you know you've got the film, but you've also got the albums. You've also got you know the various you know tours that could be uh, that could be tied into the uh, to the release of the film as well in terms of live events. So I absolutely feel that music is a huge, a huge component. Definitely something that I look for in a package. If a, if a package, you know, comes to me and says, you know, so and so wants to do the, um, the, this, you know, put together the soundtrack for it, or wants to do a theme song for it, uh, my 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 attention is um, is is a lot more focused in, into the project itself. Absolutely. I mean, because me again, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, growing up on all forms of entertainment, you know. Uh, my father really exposed me to a tremendous amount of many different types of music, many, yep. many, many different types. So you know, um, and I have a very eclectic taste in music. You know, I love, I love classical, I love jazz, I love, I love EDM. You know, I love, I love, I love any type of music. And again, I think this is all goes back to growing up, and you know, my father just blasting, you know, blasting, blasting that music. But you feel a connection with it. You know, it's like you feel like you feel emotional. You feel, you know, you feel something when you're listening to that music. So when 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 Hollywood just started applying it to motion pictures, Bodyguard, Top Gun, yeah. you know, many different types of other movies, you just the experience was much more personal. And more heightened. Yeah, exactly, much more heightened. And uh, it's unfortunate, you know. I mean, some a lot of movies now that are made today, they kind of neglect the. Um, the music, the music aspect of it, and uh, and uh, I was in a I was in a separate meeting fairly recently, and the producer that we were having a conversation with um, had no, I'm sorry, the director that we were having a conversation with had said, you know, a lot of people tend to forget that music is 50% of the movie. Yeah. It's it's 50% of the movie, and but in the cases of Pop Gun and and some of those other movies. More like eighty percent because the character is an actual. Uh, I'm sorry, the music is act is an actual character in the film. It's not just meant as, you know, background. It's it's like an actual character. Yeah, but the minute that you hear the danger zone, it's That's like right. you know, it just starts That's your true. blood pumping. If we had a if we, yeah. if we had a C, if we had a box right here, I'd probably pump it up. You know, I might pull it up on YouTube or something. And you know, I just you just when you hear that that type of music, it just takes you back to that era and. Uh, you know, you just feel a, a deep connection with it. So again, take inside, and I'm sorry if I keep referencing Top Gun, it's just That's one of my okay. absolute favorites. It's just taking something like Top Gun and say, well, we're gonna remake that. Like, how, how? Sad. If you can if you can try, if you yeah. can duplicate that kinetic energy that that film that not only had, but still has, Yeah. I would love to know. 
I would love to know how you intend to duplicate that. Yes, so the studios, please call us. <laughs> yes. Let us know, yes. please. Uh, tell us that it's... How do you intend, because again, yeah. you, have, you have to feel it. It's not just about watching a movie, it's about experiencing the movie. So, you know, it's a matter of, um, again, that, that bond that you have with the with the film. It's like someone saying that, well, let's go ahead and remake Titanic. Well, number one, Jim Cameron's not going to let you do that. Number two, <laughs> number two, how? How would you? Yeah. How? I mean, and, and it's a genuine question. How, how could you take something so special and try to remake it and say, well, we have to remake it because we have to appeal, you know, to the up-and-coming generation? And if you feel that that's the only way to appeal to the up-and-coming generation, I, I believe that's a false statement. Because yeah. it also, then, as I said, it also denies the original audience that who loved it because yeah. you're doing a remake of something as opposed to paying homage to the actual original. That's right, you got it, <laughs> absolutely. And also, it's like, as we're going into these markets and stuff like that as well, we also are funny that filmmakers are getting involved also in the P&A process yeah, as absolutely. well. Yeah. And being able to give like those components for the distributors. So now in the financing world, is that also helping towards bringing value? Because you're saying, okay, well, I can also be involved in the P&A. A lot of people are doing self-distribution in terms of that, of finding those extra platforms, those extra places. I mean, hey, even Blab, look at us. That's right. We, we podcast on Blab. Thank you, Blab. Thank you, Blab. Thank you, Blab. <laughs> and on iHeartRadio and... And on Spreaker and all these, and yes, all these thank amazing, you, yeah, it's like all of these amazing companies that get to see us as well as also on all of the uh, the tube channels as well as also through different generations. So I mean, given these values and given these new ways that as filmmakers we can add the PNA value to it, it substantially reduces down then the PNA costs on the distributors part. What does that do in terms of the financiers part? Well, it just adds further value. It just adds further value in terms of saying, well, hey, listen, you know, if you're, again, using the example of $6 million, so if you're putting up $6 million on a film, you know, it's, um, it's forwarded in terms, of, in terms of guaranteed recruitment by um, additional funding from a third party uh, that's specifically going into the marketing of that movie to ensure that, you know, you're driving butts in the seat and, and people are watching that movie. Um, so it absolutely, it works absolutely hand in hand. Now with that being said, you'll talk to a lot of people, and I'm not 100% there yet, but you'll talk to some people, and you mentioned self-distributing, <clears throat> self where some people will say that nowadays, uh, PNA is obsolete. You know, where, no, we don't really need PNA because there's so many other platforms available, like I mentioned Hulu and Netflix, and and all these other different platforms and all these mobile platforms as well as I mentioned yeah. and you're watching it on your phone <coughs> that there's really not a need for PNA well that that's probably correct uh, to a very um, minimal extent uh, but you're always going to need that additional push of PNA that's specifically going to target the marketing of the movie and enhance the value of it which in turn enhances the uh, enhances the value of the the entire package which provides that reassurance to the uh, to the production, the production uh, financer, that um, that they're guaranteed to get their money back because their money is supported by uh, additional funds that are targeting the uh, the best possible marketing results and the best possible distribution results. 
So it's working hand in hand with them as well. It's also been a large shift as well with the financier distribution market where it used to be like, no, we're going to handle this. You just give us the deliverables and we'll handle it all and all that. Now they're expecting also when you come into them with a package as well to have the poster, to have the uh, a trailer cut, to have a proof of cut and give more to them than just here's the deliverables and you know maybe I'm going to dub it in a couple of languages and here it is. Just go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, all, all that kind of uh, distribution, all those uh, distribution techniques, and all those tools that you can you can provide to a distributor, they're all helpful. But you know, to be realistic, a lot of people don't have that. You know, when they go in, uh, so there's you know, there's different approaches that you can take in terms of, again, if we're talking about you know, independent financing, you know, money talks. You know, so if you're going in and saying, hey, listen, you know, we're taking 100 percent of the risk on the uh, negative uh, negative production costs uh, and and at that point there um, guys hey listen you know we've taken the brunt of the risk if you like the story if you like the package and the film and the cast then uh, at that point you know, do you want to distribute it do you want to put money do you want to put uh, money into PNA to to give it the necessary uh, uh, the necessary respect that it needs on the on the marketing and, uh, and on the distribution side and we will help you out the DPK and all right. of that stuff on our end and therefore on your end, you know, it makes a much better marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, uh, there's a lot to do with marketing, like for example, places like the AFM that we have That's mentioned. That's right. And we also mentioned TIFF and as well as CAN, which is coming up in May, and Berlinol, which has just passed uh, us recently. And all of that is that there are so many fascinating markets that are coming up. So, what's your kind of view on the AFM and places like that, and the significance now that is playing in the market? Well, it, it, it holds it holds significant advantages. So, you know, the, the, you know, these are the these festivals are there for a reason. You know, this is these are the places for your films to get the maximum amount of exposure. And, and not just you know exposure in terms of uh, in, in terms of uh, audiences, but but specifically market and distributors, where um, where that 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 exposure will be absorbed by those um, by those groups, and then essentially filters down into you know uh, back to their uh, back to their native countries. So if you've got a German buyer, an Austrian buyer, you know these are all people that you know absorb the content, and then in turn you know obviously the consumers within within those countries absorb it as well. So those those festivals and those events are absolutely crucial. So I highly recommend obviously targeting as uh, as many as you can and uh, and if possible all of them. And do you think feel that they keep up with current new trends or uh, or do you feel in that some, in, 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 a, in a lot in a, in a lot of cases they uh, they uh, they do. I mean I mean look at I, I believe it I believe it is Can Woody Allen's newest movie is is opening Can you know that's that's mm -hmm. that I believe yeah I believe it is Can yeah. It's opening up the film festival, and, and you know it's just it's you know it's quite interesting to see a film like that opening up a, a major film festival such as that. So you can see that you know things are changing. You know you have a you know a such a phenomenal filmmaker such as Woody uh, that's going out and you know it's not a tentpole, it's not a big studio movie, it's not you know got you know massive amounts of uh, star power in it. You know I mean with all of Woody's films, I mean, there's always star power attached to that, but you know, not compared to let's say a Marvel type movie, and, and you have him opening up a major film festival such as Cannes. So, I absolutely believe that uh, a lot of the festivals are keeping up with the times. And also the information that they're imparting, as well as very current and very now. You mean in, in, in seminars? Yeah, in seminars and being able to impart information to the newer filmmakers. 
Um, specifically in relation to finance? Or? Yes. 50-50, not really, uh, because I think, um, I mean, for me, I, th I think that uh, society has really conditioned certain people to believe what they want to believe, and those people try to condition those around them mm -hmm. to believe in the same thing, um, i.e., you know, there's only one way to finance a movie, or there's two or three ways to finance a movie or distribute a movie. I completely disagree with that. In my case, it's going out and targeting and you know not and of course not everybody's like me but you know I mean you know targeting you know what is not being done and finding new ways to, to get it done because at the end of the day you know again as I said don't overcomplicate don't overthink it if something works it works and you have no idea how many conversations I have with so many different producers it's like well Mike you can't do that and you can't do this and my immediate reaction is is okay well who told you that you can't do well, no, it just it can't be done. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. But again, you're speaking definitively. Okay. No, I, yeah, you're speaking definitively. So be definitive. Be definitive back. If I'm asking a direct question, who has conditioned you to to say that movies can only be financed this one way? Because I'd love to know. Because the world that I come from, which is you know capital markets, high-end transactions such as M and A and and asset-based transactions. As long as it's legal and it gets done, yeah, that's the only thing people care about. Is the, people only care about closing the deal. So if you're able to raise, you know, all of your money via product integration because you're making a sports movie, um, and you don't need to pre-sell anything, and you don't need your tax credits, and you're just buddies with a lot of these brand companies because you used to work for Adidas or for Nike. Um, why is that? Why is that not within the realm of possibility? Yeah. Because, you know, if the movie gets made and you don't need pre-sales or you don't need equity, but the film is closed, it's being made, it's getting done. What's the problem with that? I don't. I don't. I don't see an issue with that. That's what I'm saying. A lot, a lot of these producers, they they're conditioned. I have no idea why. I've always I've always been fascinated to find out where where where, where it originated from. Uh, maybe just because I'm such a I'm such a hard intellect myself, where I always try to kind of dissect and kind of find out, you know, why things got the way that they that they are. But um, uh, it, it fascinates me how people just think that there's this way to make a movie, and you can't do it that way because you just can't. And it's like, okay, well, again, for me, they, there's you know, there's a moment where, you know, do you want to make the movie or do you not want to make the movie? We're not breaking the law, so it's legal, you know, we may not involve equity, we may not involve, you know, pre-sales, but as long as the movie gets done, it gets done. So if you want to finance 100% of your film as debt through tax credits and pre-sales, well, it's 100% financing. So that's the only thing that you should care about, yeah. you know? Not saying, well, Mike, you can't pre-sell more than 30% of your movie because you, you just can't, you know, you just, you're just giving away the farm. And it's like, um, well, we need that extra 70% to be made up between uh, tax credits and equity. And then people don't understand, the one thing that I really want to get across yeah. to our viewers is, is really just to really stress that a lot of people don't understand the, the definition of equity. You know? Yeah. When you hear, it's like, well, you know, you can only go up to this, this percentage, and then the rest you need, you know, you need equity to, to finish it. 
and it's like my immediate reaction is is do you, do you guys know like when when I say and I mean guys in terms of like producers but you know like do you people know the actual cost of equity in 2016 yeah. I know what the cost is because I speak to these investors every single day and it's not what it was five or ten years ago so it's up to you you can feel free to go ahead and pay for it and 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 acquire that equity and I'm pretty sure you know you know there's going to be a few instances where I'm pretty sure you'll get a good deal but for the most part these investors are really are, are sophisticated they're looking at more than than uh, than what they uh, what they originally intended for in terms of the type of return that they're that they're looking for and the type of security that they're that they're also looking for so if you think that getting equity and and really not paying for it in terms of like you know oh, prime gosh. it's like, it's like yeah. prime real estate it's like sure I'll get prime real estate but I'm not gonna pay for it and it's like okay well then you're just not gonna get it yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very simple so just be very careful in terms of the type of financing that 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 you can get and at the end of the day don't let anybody tell you no I mean as long as the film gets made it's made and if it's made in terms of how it was originally intended to be made then you know then it shouldn't be a problem I think people as I said you know the the one thing that you know and, and I often tell some of these producers and um, and, and a lot of the times um, unfortunately I'm not civil about it because that's just the, that's just the only way to get it through is you know don't complicate it you know yeah. why, why why are you complicating them you know the one thing that the one thing that I can say definitively from the uh, coming from the capital markets is you know the guys on Wall Street the guys that you know Goldman Sachs Morgan Stanley all these guys that I know and that I have relationships with you know the harder it is the more that they do, that they do, the more they want to disassociate themselves from it you know, because the whole idea is, especially when you're in the capital markets and you're working on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, or you know, you're working on you're working on Bay Street. The key word is closings, closing, 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 closing. Especially when you're on the stock markets. So yeah. if you're if you're working in stock and you're not closing because you're overthinking or you're overcomplicating it, you're you're not going to get anywhere. So just think of it like that. You know, think of it that you know, the more you complicate something. The more, the more, it's, the faster it's gonna, it's gonna roll down that hill. The faster it's gonna go. Yeah, and also it's like the more that you want to get involved into it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. So uh, there's a lot of tools available for financing motion pictures, and like I said, now, now today more than ever, you know, a lot of banks are, are are wanting to finance, and I know some people, you know, have their pros and cons on banks. I don't have a problem with banks. Uh, you just gotta know how to how to work with them. I love all the banks in Toronto. You know, I. You know, um, uh, I speak, you know, very extremely high uh, of them. And, uh, you know, some producers may not like it just because of, you know, the turnaround and the timing for it. But, you know, again, you also have to assume that some of that responsibility as well. You know, you can't expect, you know, that if if, if, um, if, if you weren't, uh, if you didn't get a head start in the due diligence or, or um, you know, getting a head start in terms of uh, putting together the film and now you're in rush mode and all of a sudden you're trying to, offload that you know that 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 stress and that um, those deadlines to a bank and saying to or, or to anybody in a bank and equity investors say well listen I need a check up today because I'm gonna lose so and so and so and so okay that's understandable but again you have to look at it closely and saying well you know I'm not gonna take the brunt of that of that blame in terms of your to a degree um, your your ineptitude yes <laughs> to a degree um, because you know you weren't you know you weren't ready in advance and uh, 
And that's not fair to banks. That's not fair to equity investors either, because, you know, especially with equity investors, I mean, I, I, I know, you know, boatload of them. I have good relationships with them. And, and, you know, they all love me because, you know, I always, I, I care about their money because it takes money to make money. So, you know, just because someone is a high net worth, you know, you have to think to yourself, they weren't always a high net worth. Maybe a few of them, you know, maybe, you know, inherited something from their father, but you can't apply that to everybody. You know, I know a lot of real estate developers that, you know, are, are financing movies and some of them really want to get into involved in movies because they're seeing that their buddies are having a good time. But that mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that they were born into it, you know. So they worked for their money as, as hard as everybody else did and, you know, you have to value that. You know, you can't just you can't just go and approach them and say, well, you know, I need a check cut today and, you know, what's taking you so long without really understanding the mechanics behind that. Very true. Would, if you had... A situation where you had to use um, straight equity or debt equity, which would you prefer? Uh, debt, hands down. Um, just because, and, and uh, if people, if some people are listening, I'm pretty sure they're disagreeing with me right now, but uh, debt, hands down. I, I know so many, I know so many um, equity players that have also admitted to me that they prefer debt. I mean, like, I, I, know, I know one equity player, that's all he's done his entire life. Equity, 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 equity. He's dealt with, you know, wealth management, firms, uh, high net worth. That's all he's ever done. He's lived and breathed equity every single day. And he admitted to me point blank, I prefer debt hands down. Because it's just, it's, it's cleaner it, in, a, in, a lot of way, in a lot of ways. It's faster. And, um, and to be quite honest, um, if, you want to talk, if you want to talk about, you know, equity compared to pre-sales and, and producers saying, wow, I don't want to pre-sell that much because I'm giving away the farm. Well, let me tell you something. With equity, you're giving up the entire farm. See, one of the things that was interesting also is Adam Krinsman made uh, the point of, as also newer filmmakers, don't worry about the back end points and don't worry about that sort of thing because chances are you're not making it anyway. And a lot of times, with, or if you are making it, it's because you're taking in debt from the equity versus actual equity equity as right, well. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you know, the upside, you know, the back end is, is always huge, and, and it's all about the preservation of the yeah. back end. It's all about the preservation of the back end. So if the more equity that you involve, the, the, the less preserved the back end will be. So, and again, it all boils down to that, uh, the needs, I'm sorry, the requirements of that, of that specific equity investor. And even to the point, and, and I'm just, you know, obviously letting our viewers know in terms of the reality of, of the cost of equity, uh, I've, I've recently told producers that in, in a lot of cases, based on my conversations with equity investors, they require more uh, more collateral, more security. You know, they'll want to cross-collateralize their equity investment with uh, with other forms of collateral. So they'll say, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'll take domestic as my collateral, but in the event that the domestic market for some reason ends up uh, going downhill tomorrow morning, you know, what can I fall back on? You know, do you have something to cross collateralize with? Not saying that they're going to say put up your house or put up a personal guarantee, not saying that at all, but they'll definitely ask in terms of saying at least conversations that I've had to say, hey, listen, is there any other assets that I can utilize and then cross collateralize in addition to, you know, taking, using it as an example, taking the, uh, uh, the domestic markets as, as collateral in terms of return on their money? I know that we hadn't also talked about it, but also in terms of relationships with guarantors, playing is a huge part in this whole capital stack as well, is also in terms of financing. It's like, how is the 
guarantor related into this well, in today's dating. Well, I mean, well, I mean, the guarantor is absolutely essential, yes. right? So, I mean, they're the ones that you know obviously will ensure that the film gets done in the event that the film doesn't get done. So, they're they're absolutely essential. I mean, in in a lot of cases, I mean, there's obviously a cost associated with that, and some equity investors and and even some that I've spoken to have said, well, you know what? I mean, you know, I'm okay with the risk. I'm okay with the with the security. We don't need to take out that completion bond. We don't need to pay that that extra cost to you know to have a guarantor. Um, you know, come in and issue a, uh, a completion guarantee. But in, in most cases, um, it, it is a requirement. Uh, definitely a requirement that, uh, that um, I agree with to an extent because, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, a completion, a completion guarantor is just, is just an insurance policy, right? So, um, but they're not, they're, they're not filmmakers. So, you know, you have to weigh out the pros and cons on that. You know, they can obviously step in and, and you know, finish the film, but, you know, it's finished. What? To what end? You know, they finished the film. You know, just just for finishing it. So it's not necessarily the original vision that you had intended. So it's really, you know, weighing out the pros and cons on that. So you know, with a completion guarantor, it's really, you know, don't don't put the brunt of the risk on them. You know, obviously, as I said earlier, you know, all the all the advice and all the tools and and um, and ideas that I had suggested in terms of offsetting as much of the financial risk as possible, so you take the pressure off of having to rely on a completion bond. Um, you know, because obviously if you can offset as much of the risk as possible with soft money and deferrals and, um, you know, other techniques, it just, uh, it just takes that pressure off. It alleviates that, uh, that pressure. So that all being said, so what is the next big trend in film that you <laughs> want to be involved in? That becomes you, your involvement. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be involved in more of the, um, uh, more of the distribution. That's, that's, that's my specific focus right now. I mean, dominant entertainment right now is in is in strategic mode in terms of that. That's what I've defined it as strategic mode to really team up with you know distributors in in terms of really plugging into as many outlets as we as we can to, to distribute the content. So all the movie theaters, uh, mobile devices, and like I said, you know, Alan Glazer and I from from Trimax, you know, we are we're both very huge um, uh, proponents and, and supporters of. Of things going mobile because it's just it's you, you see a huge gap in it you see a huge gap in it but you see people throughout North America people in Asia you know on the subway on the streetcar in a taxi and they're you know they're watching the Oscars on their you know on their mobile device you yeah. know I think it was at the Super Bowl when uh, again uh, to mention Verizon Go 90 Verizon Go 90 had blasted out the Super Bowl you know on their on their uh, on their go 90 app and people watching the super bowl on their on their yeah. phones as opposed to literally <laughs> as opposed to people you know not going at home and and uh, you know doing a cookout and um, you know watching it on their big screen tv i mean a lot of people of them ended up doing it but for the most part a lot of people were interacting with it on their on their mobile devices and so that's definitely something that you know you know de is 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 heavily uh, focused on today in terms of maximizing um, our, uh, our distribution strength. And non-traditional platforming. Absolutely. Like, in addition to theatrical. In addition to theatrical. Yeah. Because I know that one of the things that's like recently had taken the Megabus and it would have been just really lovely to be able to just whip out my phone and be able that's to right. see something on there or have it on the Megabus there with me that yeah. well uh, during the travels and saying to them it's like okay great I can watch a movie well <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly I'm waiting at the border for the 80th person to <laughs> deny <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. This. It's like, so, yeah, it is a very exciting <coughs> new thing, as well as also getting more platforms out from the internet, as well as also some non traditional ones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so as I mentioned, yeah, just non traditional platforms combined with, um, you know, the traditional platforms, but um, uh, that, that would be obviously a. Um, Strong core of my uh, of my advice to our listeners in terms of distribution is really do your homework in terms of the the outlets that are available. Um, in a, in addition to theatrical, in no way am I saying neglect theatrical. I'm not saying that at all. Um, in some cases, it, it may not be required, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't you don't pursue it. Um, you know, everybody wants to get their movies up on the big screen, and that's obviously first and foremost the uh, the first and and and. Um, primary avenue that you want to target, but in terms of how people are absorbing content uh, is, is the way that you want to really uh, differentiate between um, uh, the type of distribution versus how people are absorbing content. I mean, those are two different things. Um, and the way people are absorbing content is people are absorbing content now by having their iPhone underneath their pillow at night, you know, it's just, that's just the way that they, and they're not going to the movie theaters, you know, they're just... You know, that's that's the way that they're absorbing content. You know, because we are all so on the go. Yeah. But aren't aren't some people still going to the movies? Of course. And then going back home. Absolutely. And watching the same thing over again. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, they're absolutely doing that. You know, but I mean, um, for the most part, you know, people that I've spoken to, you know, they're 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 watching it on their mobile phones. They're watching it on their iPads. I mean, um, I can't remember the last conversation I had with somebody. That said, yeah, I went to go see, um, you know, uh, this movie at the theater, and then when I came home, I put it up on my iPad and I watched it again. Um, I, I, people are so tuned into what is easily keyword being easily accessible yes. um, in today's market that it's the path of least resistance. You know, sure, yeah, I'll go with my popcorn. I'll get together with, you know, a bunch of my girlfriends, and you know, we'll go out and have a girls' night out or. You know, or a guy's night out, and we'll go watch. You know, we'll go watch the movie. Um, yeah. But you know what? I mean, if you've had a tough day, a you know, tough week, and you know, and you know, tough week at work, and um, you know, you just want to just relax and not worry about you know any any um, sudden occurrences that might show up in a the theater, or someone flashing their yeah. light or texting or whatnot with the movie. Well, you could just watch it right there in the in the comfort of your own home. You know, with your phone in your hands or your iPad in your hands. And they were talking about also things like, for example, Next, where it's like you're able to get your weather, your news, your, uh, your favorite radio station right on Next uh, radio app so that you can just exactly. you know, dial in on there if your next favorite movie. Yeah. So that even if your power goes out, because a lot of people, it's like, oh my God, the power went out. What am I going to do? <laughs> it's like uh, the first thing that they uh, that they say is like, okay, well, let's whip out the phone. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so uh, they're talking about uh, those ones as also being the next-gen phones yeah. that are uh, and the next-gen things that are going to happen, where you're going to want to watch during the times that you don't have traditional times, or you're out camping, and you're like, okay, I'm bored, I've done like the 50th fish, uh, fishing expedition. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, and let me whip out my little uh, my little uh, Google iMap <laughs> thing and just start watching a movie on there. That's right. That's right. You know, it's like when the fish are biting, I'll just stop the movie for a moment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Reel it on in. So also, 
not to give away trade secrets or anything, I'm not asking you to do that, but if you could tell me like some of the up-and-coming projects is time for Dominant Entertainment to tell well, us about. Well, so, the, um, so I've got two features that are coming up. Uh, one is a uh, supernatural thriller. Uh, very character-driven, extremely character-driven, um, spooky and scary. Um, so it has all the the bells and whistles of a uh, of a good um, of a good uh, supernatural thriller mystery. Um, and then the um, secondary film uh, that I have um, is a sci-fi picture, and and that's really more traditional science fiction. So it's not. It's, it's big in, in its own way. It's not something that's uh, over the top in terms of, you know, 50, 60, 100 million dollar type movie. You know, it's very contained. It's, um, you know, it's about obviously, uh, you know, an expedition to a, um, uh, to uh, outside of our solar system and, and venturing obviously into, you know, another planet and, and, and taking a concept. I'm not, I'm not gonna give away too much, so, you know, viewers, you know, expect uh, expect the film in a theater near you, but it, uh, it it deals with you know a real life concept that has been studied over for um, forever, and um, and again taking that concept and and applying it to this narrative uh, in terms of the discovery of you know this this. Very cool. This this thing, I guess I could say this thing, and uh, the backstory that's that's associated with it in terms of why was it there, who put it there, who discovered it, and and one thing leads to another, and you know the characters that stumble upon it are um, suddenly thrust into you know a level of danger that they have to you know get themselves out of, and um, the whole story and action ensues from there. But the whole the the whole. Um, selling point of the movie is that it's really contained it's it's very much kind of in uh, very reminiscent in terms of what uh, um, what they did on pitch black which was a very one of my favorite films very contained very claustrophobic minimal locations but the production value was absolutely it, it w was on that picture and and is going to be on our picture uh, through the roof in terms of the uh, very very high level of production value but we're not spending you know a hundred million dollars you know to do it so you know you've got top-notch visual effects and special effects uh, but first and foremost a very strong story and then the third project that we've got is a, um, um, a high caliber sci-fi fantasy uh, more so science fiction in terms mm -hmm. of uh, in terms of the uh, television series and and it's based on a uh, Franchise of books, um, and uh, it's uh, it's titled the Sam Sarah Chronicles for nice. for our our viewers. So uh, viewers, the Sam Sarah Chronicles. In case you want to look it up, and uh, the books are on Amazon or on Barnes and Noble. You know you can you can access them, and uh, it's it's really about these. Uh, these uh, two characters that are really thrust into a situation into the events of an apocalypse to champion the fate of uh, to uh, to champion the fate of uh, of uh, two worlds essentially. So it deals with you know the the future on uh, um, uh, futuristic setting in terms of where Earth is in the future, and then it takes uh, and then also um, cuts to a a uh, the involvement of a secondary planet, pretty much uh, fate. Um, bringing them together, so you really have that love story and that romance while you're uh, in the midst of um, 
the chaos and the the action and nice. the adventure and the science fiction. So it has all the again the bells and whistles in terms of what would appeal to audiences in terms of you know a love story and um, and um, and uh, and um, uh, definitely you know we feel that it will definitely appeal to a uh, wide demographic. Oh, absolutely! It's like it'll be exciting and it's going to be new and innovative. No, that's the intention, absolutely. So, uh, um, I have so, to admit, I loved Extent. <laughs> okay, good. All the all three seasons. So it's like, and I'm looking forward to all of those because I am kind of a little bit of a sci-fi geek. And yes, well, we all we all are, right? Right. Yeah. I love, like I said, I love sci-fi, and we just have seen, you know, a huge. Uh, a huge, um, you know, gap in the marketplace for you know good quality type uh, science fiction. So, um, so those are the three projects, um, and the uh, the feature that um, the supernatural thriller and the uh, the sci-fi project, uh, both of which are, are being done between uh, uh, Dominant Entertainment and Trimax Media, which is uh, Alan Glazer's company, and Alan and I just uh, recently formed a uh, a uh, our partnership to. Um, uh, to co-produce projects together, and Alan Glazer is a uh, a uh, industry veteran, 25 plus years in the industry, and a uh, great producer. You know, definitely uh, from from uh, soup to nuts. Uh, yep. Um, a uh, tremendous asset. So uh, um, definitely someone that I take my hats off to. So Alan, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> Alan, join us. <laughs> yes. So, uh, uh, great asset and uh, and a great partner. So um, yeah, so those are pretty much the three that are on the uh, that are on the short list. And then obviously we have a pipeline of uh, of several projects that are in uh, late stage development. Um, again, some some additional sci-fi uh, pictures that are uh, that are larger in scale, um, and uh, some of which that are Diana's as well. So. Uh, if uh, you're affiliated with uh, Diana's work and viewers, if you uh, want to see the great Diana Kemp in action, feel free to visit her website, dianakemp.com. All the info in terms of uh, what's available, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the uh, original material that she's created that uh, we're now adapting for, uh, for motion pictures. Absolutely, and it sounds extremely exciting. No, it is, yeah. And I do know that uh, probably if, uh, with a couple of those, I can just see one of those Big Bang tie-ins. Yes. Like the guys from Big Bang, you know, talking about them. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, they're pretty. Uh, they're pretty. They're pretty large, but yeah. um, you know, very cognizant in terms of you know the budgets and the financing, and of course the inherent risk that's uh, that's associated with each one. So uh, we're very much looking forward to. It. We've got a full slate, and you know, very busy. You know, deadlines obviously that we have to meet. So um, you know, yeah. Also, is there any uh, guidance that you would love to give to future and up and coming filmmakers? This is our major question. Yeah, so this is the question that I've been waiting for. So viewers, this is um, you know hopefully you're uh, you're there with your pen and paper or your uh, your uh, your note with your uh, your stylus there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in, in a nutshell, my the best advice that I can give is control your destiny and never let anyone tell you no. I. I, I personally still don't understand the definition of can't and no. Uh, so for me, they're, they're not part of my vocabulary. Again, those are part of the unnecessary politics that society has conditioned certain people to believe and those people try to condition those around them. So, you know, for me, you either do something or you don't. You know, it's very simple, you know. So uh, in a nutshell, develop your own projects, 
produce your own projects, control your destiny, don't let anyone tell you can't or no. Um, and, and what I mean by control your own destiny is, you know, be in control. You know, I've, I've, I've experienced, you know, several times, you know, on a deal where, you know, certain people come in with projects and, you know, you're not, you're, 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 you're at the back of the train as opposed to being at the front of the train and you don't have any say in the decisions and, and, and that usually obviously, you know, makes its way back to, you know, whoever's taking the risk, you know, whether it be a studio that's coming to check or whether in this case, obviously independent financing. And, um, it's, um, it's definitely something that I've seen a lot of people make a mistake on in terms of whether, you know, a, um, a, what we like to call a daisy chain, you know, too many people in that daisy chain and, you know, you're at the back, you're, you're at the back of it as opposed to being at the front of it. So control your, control your own destiny, you know, let the buck stops with you and let the, let the buck stop with you. The only person that, that you have to be accountable to is, you know, whoever's writing the check. You know, not to someone else who introduced you to somebody else, who in turn introduced you to somebody else. You know, the buck stops with you, the final decision ends with you. And then my other piece of advice is, uh, don't do anything that you don't know how to do. So, if you're a, if you're a producer, stick to producing. If you're a financier, stick to financing. Don't don't be naive in terms of being a producer being a writer and i'm not saying that you can't learn new things along the way i'm not saying that at all but if if you're a writer or if you're a producer and you have a financier such as myself that is working with you don't try to um don't don't try to don't try to overstep the boundaries in terms of saying well now i want to write produce and finance because that just ends up in absolute catastrophe. You know, stick stick to what you know. You know, if you don't know financing, just in, just disassociate from it. Because the worst thing that you can do is you can absolutely destroy yourself faster than you can blink by trying to get involved in something that you don't know how to do. You can burn serious and multiple bridges simultaneously before you even before you before you even turn the corner before you realize. You know what 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 kind of damage you've done so my second piece of advice is stick to what you know you know if you want you know after producing or writing movies if you want to learn financing absolutely learn it but don't get involved with it until you know it so don't do anything that you don't know how to do you know stick to what you know and find the people who can fill in those gaps absolutely. for you the right team put together the right team hey, you know look at someone like trimax and dominant entertainment you know Trimax is, you know, has an extensive amount of production experience. Dominant Entertainment doesn't, and the bulk of our experience is uh, is mostly on the financing. So it's a, it's a perfect complement. You know, I'm not going to try to pretend on how to, you know, deliver the type of movies that Alan Glazer has delivered, and you know, he and same thing for him. He's not going to try to, you know, pretend to, you know, to know financing, you know, and, uh, you know, and 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 try to step on, you know, the things that I've done in financing. So. You know, Alan's a uh, is, is a maestro and, and a master in terms of in terms of production. So I lean on him, and and uh, and obviously he leans on me on the financing. So again, I don't overstep my boundaries, and he doesn't overstep his. And I think that's a perfect compliment, as I said earlier, in, in terms of a partnership. You know, so those would be those would be my two pieces of advice. But specifically emphasizing the uh, the second part, just because I've seen. Too many people get get hurt. You know, too many people are having their time wasted in terms of in terms of um, getting involved in situations that were out of their control, and 
it all, it all stemmed from somebody thinking that they could do something because they woke up that morning thinking that they could do it. And um, you can't have that mindset. You know, that it'll definitely, uh, the tables will definitely be turned on you. Absolutely. That I can guarantee you. Yes. That I can guarantee you. It's like, so it's making sure that you are empowering yourself and also making sure that you stick to the category. Yeah, and, surround, and as you said, you know, surround yourself with the right, with the right type of people. So, you know, if you're, if you're a sales agent and you're good at selling, stick to selling. If you want to venture out to financing, fine. But, you know, that should not, you should not be applying something that you don't know to an existing situation. If you don't know about it, then, it should not, then you should not try to attempt to apply it to that situation. If you want to learn about it, then that's fine. You can learn about it, and you know, several years later, I'm pretty sure you can apply those new skills that you've acquired to an existing transaction. But you know, at that moment of time, if your if your only skill is selling and you're very good at, at at negotiating and securing distribution deals, then that's what you should stick to stick to doing. Which makes perfect sense. And there's only 24 hours in a day, and one person can't do everything. Well, people try. People try. You'd be surprised. Be surprised in terms of the type of personalities that I come by on a day-to-day -day basis. Definitely be surprised. Absolutely. And also, Michael, how would you want people to get in touch with you if they... By the way, we both talked about this before, <laughs> and I will state it again to everybody. Please don't come forward with a bunch of pitches, because nobody loves to be pitched at. <laughs> <laughs> the best way is probably through, the, probably through our website, uh, dominant-entertainment.com. Once again, that's dominant-entertainment.com. Take a look at our, our uh, service packages, um, you know, our, our team and um, you know the our, and specifically our capabilities and if you think that uh, you know we're a match and you know you wanted to get a uh, response from us in regards to uh, feedback on your material uh, just hit the contact button and uh, feel free to reach out perfect and, if, and would you like them to reach to us for you for the show yes absolutely yeah. yes because if you have any questions absolutely or you feel that there's anything more that you want us also cover on it definitely reach out to us and we also have our own website as well, which is www.pastlivesproductionsinc.net, as well as we also have our Movie Time website on Facebook, as well as also we are on Twitter, on, gosh, um, Bizipedia, LinkedIn, you name it, we, you could probably find us. And as we said, if you cannot find us, you're just not stopping us hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> and... I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this amazing, and thank you so much, Michael G. Frito. I mean, like, you have been a tripper because we have been together for two hours, and this has been incredible information. So I hope that, I hope that uh, I've added a, a substantial amount of value to the show and to your listeners and your viewers, and um, any questions, feel free to, uh, to reach out anytime. Absolutely. And we uh, and please join us again for our next movie time and hope that you all have a great day. Take care.